Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. morning. Now that was a good song for us to sing before we dive into a message that tells us to do a bunch of things. Because we don't do anything apart from springing out of the love that God has for us. You can't do anything on your own. So the whole Christian faith, nothing works if we don't understand that first God loved us. Okay? So, and that's what we need is grace on our lives for ourselves. Um, because I'm going to really... Actually, God's word really drives us to say, get off your tail and do something. Love somebody. But we don't love people. We don't obey God so that God will love us. Because God loves us, we love people, right? We can't get that order messed up. You're never going to be able to earn God's love. He's already got it for you. He's given it to you. And then we um, pass that forward, pass it on. Um, So I just want us to be careful about that as we hear these things. So we started out the first uh, four, seri- four messages in this series about loving God with everything. Start with loving with them our heart, then our soul, and our strength, and our mind. So it's kind of starting in this smaller place in your heart. Love God with all you have and all you are. That's the call. And then it's followed with going connected because it's two sides of a coin, two sides of a poker chip. And the other side says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor with your heart. And we looked at the passage that Jesus taught on that with the uh, good Samaritan or the compassionate Samaritan. And this compassionate Samaritan had a gut ache. Splognitzomai. Splognitzomai. He saw this wounded, beaten up person and just felt in his heart, just sensed it, just says, I got to do something about that. And that heart is, you know, that was the trigger inside that burst him into action. We're going to look at that today. What's the action? doesn't just start, you know, like a, a, a bomb goes off with a spark or a flower blooms from a bud. So we're starting small, we're getting bigger and bigger. So each week we're going to get bigger and bigger from how we love people and how we love God. Um, but before we dive into that, I do want us to pray. And then instead of me explaining again what the soul is, because we're trying to figure out how do I love my neighbor with my soul, I want us to watch another one of those videos, Bible Project video. We've already watched it, but it's good to watch it. Not yet. I want to pray. <laughs> God, we don't just have souls, but we are souls. And you call us out to love you and also to love our neighbors, and even love ourselves with our souls. Lead us in your way today. Spark our souls into action. Amen. So now you can go ahead and hit the uh, soul video from the Bible. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nephesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. 
The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nephesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nephesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nephesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh, and if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead nephesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh. Rather, they are a nephesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now, that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death, waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nephesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nephesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nephesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nephesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nephesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So, on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's, but then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your Creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nephesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your Creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. So back to our passage where um, Jesus says, hey, you know, the lawyer says, what's the deal with life? How do I get eternal life? And what's it say in the law? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? You know, he goes on to say. And so Jesus tells a story about how we love our neighbor. So let's look at that story since we want the best answer. How do we love 
our neighbor with our nephesh. So if you want to, open up your, your pew Bibles to page 1105, and I'm just going to walk us through, it looks like, three verses that we'll just, we're just going to look at these verses and say, how is it that the compassionate Samaritan, the good Samaritan, how did the good Samaritan love the, you know, his neighbor? How did he love the guy that was beat up with his nephesh? Does that make sense? So I'll just walk through it. And I found 11 ways. One word on compassion, that was last week, and this one has 11. So I'll just walk through these. I'll read the passage first, and then I'll just kind of pick through each 11. And we can see how this spark of compassion, how he had this compassion led to a lot of activity with his physical being. Okay, so starting in verse uh, 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. There's really 11 in there? Let me go through them. The first one is that he saw. That's up in verse 33. He saw with his eyes. So with his eyes, he's traveling on the 17-mile drive from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he sees um, this guy that's been robbed and beaten. So that's the first part, how he used his physical being. Then the second one, and this is, a, this is one of those key ones. You know, the word compassion was what the, the difference maker between him and the priest and the Levite. He went to him. Don't miss that piece. He went to him because the other two, the priest and the Levite, they stepped around, remember? They avoided. They actually used their nephesh to avoid um, loving this beaten guy. That's what those two did. They used their nephesh in a bad way. He used his in a good way. His compassion directed, sparked his whole self to go to the beaten up guy. Then in verse uh, 34, it says he bound up his wounds, literally stopped the bleeding, right? Take first aid 101, that's the, what they'll tell you to do. Um, again, going from just loving his neighbor out of compassion to action. He's using his soul, he's using his physical body. Then he, um, the fourth one here, he poured on oil and wine, it's got to be some kind of disinfectant, right? It's got to hurt. <laughs> that might have woke the guy up a little bit. But it's a loving, caring thing to actually physically take these things that he has with him and pour them on the wounds. And then he put him on his animal. So let's get a little modern thing. He put him in his car. Probably got his seats all dirty. It's starting to cost him not just oil and wine and trouble, but now he's put him on his animal and brought him to the inn, number six. So that means... Instead of having a ride down, say on a donkey or a horse, he's walking. And not only is he walking, this guy's probably beat to within an inch of his life. He's probably having to steady this guy. And I'm imagining that that's got to be a lot of work, right? Walking someone down, it's, down, it's quite a bit downhill, it takes a long time. So he goes this whole way carrying this guy on his horse or on his donkey all the way down. So he's got to be exhausted and he uh, took care of him. And then we get to the eighth one. He took out money, the physical act of took, taking out money. Now, Dave's preaching next week, and he's going to be talking about, you know, loving your neighbor with your much. So one of those resources would be money. I won't go into the money part of it, but I will say, this is a little bit funny. You, you ever see someone when, a, you know, like a big party, people are at a dinner, and then the check comes, and then suddenly they say you have T-Rex arms? 
you can't quite reach the check, you know? <laughs> That's not the case here. This guy extended his full arms and took out money and paid the innkeeper, all right? That physical act of not just doing a gesture, he actually grabbed his wallet or wherever he kept his money and paid the innkeeper. There's an action there. That's where he used his soul to take out his money. The ninth one I found was uh, he stayed the night. He didn't just drop him at the inn and then take off. He stayed the night, probably caring for him, probably kind of like, hey, is this a safe inn? Is this, you know, is this guy going to be okay here? What's the innkeeper like? You know, getting to know, staying the night. And, and maybe the guy was in really bad trouble. Like, I got to make sure he even stays alive. So he stayed the night watching him and protecting him and caring for him. Tenth one is he spoke directions. He told the innkeeper, hey, here's some money, take care of him. I'm going to come back. Whatever it costs, I'll pay and I'll cover that thing. So he's actually using words, part of his soul, to give directions to the innkeeper. And then the last one, and you'll see it um, at the very end. I didn't know this for a little while. I'll even call this a bonus. The good Samaritan left. That's actually a way to love him because if he just stayed there and took care of him the whole time, then he's not going on with the business. He, you know, he has to continue to earn a living or he's got other responsibilities. He didn't just drop everything for the rest of his life to take care of this guy. He took care of him to the way that he could and then he went on to live the rest of his life to do the rest of his responsibilities, which is key. You know, sometimes we get afraid like, oh, I got to do this and drop. No, God's given you those responsibilities too. So I think it's beautiful that he actually leaves. You know, sometimes I might feel, might feel guilty if I leave. No, we need you to leave for a, for a bunches of reasons, but one of them is maybe he's doing business and he needs to meet with his appointments, take care of his business so he would have the resources to keep living, to keep paying for people that get beat up on the road, right? You, you're following me on this one. Lots and lots and lots. And there might be more in there, but that's just my, you know, kind of scan through this passage when Jesus says, love your neighbor with your soul, with your whole physical being. There is a ton in there that we can do. So initially have compassion, and then it bursts out to like, what can I do with my body, right? With my physical being to love this person. And there, there is a lot in there. And that's just like in three verses that it shows up that much. So a couple questions and then thoughts before we uh, head into communion. Last week when I talked about compassion, I prayed, and it's in line with God's word, that he sets up opportunities for us to love our neighbor, Sets up opportunities for compassion. I don't need you to answer right now, um, but I want you to pause and think over your last week and think who, it's not necessarily what usually, it's usually a who did God put in your path in your life that you kind of felt in your gut, you had this sense like, I want to care for them. They have a need, I want to meet that need. How did you get to... Um, Love someone with your heart. And then secondarily, you know where I'm going with this, how did you express that compassion with your body, with your soul? What happened? How was your soul involved in loving your neighbor? You see, the, the key we're trying to get to today is it starts inwardly. Usually the Holy Spirit's like, hey, <laughs> do this. Hey, look there, see this. And then we go from inward to outward. See, the whole message today is about outward. We don't want to necessarily start with outwards, although sometimes we have to start serving. That will wake up our compassion. Um, but usually it starts there with you with having compassion, and then our soul, our outward sense, gets involved. I know 
the week leading up to this, and certainly yesterday with um, Bob Rudolph's memorial, it's neat for a pastor to walk around a church campus and see all the activity, right? This room was set up with more chairs. You go to the ACE, there was a ton of chairs and tables and food and people buzzing around doing all kinds of stuff. We could feel compassion for Joanne and her family and just feel compassion. Or you feel compassion, like, what can I do about this? How can I help? How can I serve? And there was a lot of service going on. I said, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, loving our neighbor. It's good to feel compassion. It's appropriate to keep going and get your body involved, actually picking up chairs, right? Cooking something, cleaning something, lifting something, listening to somebody, opening your eyes and seeing what God would have you do. I... um. There's a number of good books on this, and I wanted to do a little brief kind of book review. Um, anybody ever read this book, Holy Sweat? Excellent book. It's a little bit older. Um, I got some good points that I'm going to share with you there about it's basically like here's how you get your, your carcass involved in loving your neighbor, get your body in action. Another one, a little bit more modern, is Mark Laberton. He's the um, president of Fuller Seminary. He was a pastor at Berkeley Presbyterian Church for a number of years, The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbors, Seeing Others Through the Eyes of Jesus. Amazing book. He, he focuses a lot on your eyes. We have an, a sight problem, and Jesus saw a lot of people. And then a number of you have read this. This is Bob Goff's book called Love Does. And sometimes you just need to read a story about how someone kind of ridiculously loves people. And this guy is loaded with stories about how he doesn't just sit there and think about it. He just gets involved. And, and has really funny, amazing stories about loving your neighbor. And, and really, it's a great inspiration on the life that God has called us into loving people. Not just consider it and think about it, but just get your hands dirty, right? So Tim Hansel in this book, Holy Sweat, he came up with three things that I thought, as I looked it over, like that would be great to share um, on Sunday morning with here. And what they are is they're barriers to loving our neighbor, okay? So you have this sense and instead of walking around like the priest and the Levite, you actually get involved. There's three barriers that he mentions that I thought would be really helpful. Guess what the first one is? That's one made me, it, it's shameful, but it made me laugh out loud. He says, actual movement. <laughs> right? So Halloween night, I was super tired. I can't remember why, but I was super tired. And um, we were going to go over to our neighbor's house and um, knock on the door and give him some candy. I won't tell you the whole story. But I was in my recliner. You ever getting that feeling? And I'm like, I ain't moving. I am done for the day. And I don't even know if, if I was watching TV or what, but I'm there and Maria's like, come on, let's go to the neighbor's house. And, and everything in my body, my soul cried out, no. I'm like, I can't, I don't have it. I'm done. I'm all used up for the day. Fortunately, I, I, this, I, it's a true story. I prayed. I'm like, Lord, I have nothing in me. Would you empower me? Give me the energy. And it was literally walking 100 feet down the driveway, you know, say hi to the neighbors and then walk uphill again. But I depended um, on God for the energy to move my soul down the street when nothing in me wanted to do that. And don't you feel that way sometimes? Much bigger thing than meeting your neighbors. So second one is actual physical movement. Get yourself moving. Uh, that's the first one. The second one is it's a fear. When it comes to doing something, is you, you have this fear, I'm not enough. 
I'm not prepared, or I'm just not gifted. Well, that fear's true. You aren't enough. What? On your own, you're not enough. But remember that you're a living sacrifice empowered by God. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11, it talks about speaking with the very words of God and serving with the energy that the Lord gives you. That's how we operate. We operate with his energy. So if you have this fear like, I'm not enough, I can't do it, I'm not gifted enough, just go like, you're right, I'm not. On my own, I'm not. And, and I would warn you, don't do anything. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you're not enough, good. Now what? But he's enough, and so get your carcass moving, right? So actually move, fear that you're not enough. And then the third one is the fear of unknown. That Samaritan did not know how this would turn out. In fact, maybe he could have looked like he robbed the guy, right, and gotten in trouble, or, or takes him to an inn and say, you're a Samaritan, you're not supposed to be in our town. There's all kinds of things, you know, if you play this out, how this might not go well. But he did it anyways. And many times, I know, we rationally think, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And guess what? That fear is true. You don't know. Right? You just don't know. You don't know if it might include some discomfort, some failure, some poverty. In fact, Jesus promised that life would be difficult. So maybe that just accelerates it. (laughs) We don't know. But we do know this. What we do know is how the whole story ends. In fact, we're going to, in the winter, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation, and it ends well. God wins, right? And so we don't have to worry that our life, it, it will be difficult. Sacrifice is part of it. You're going to serve. It, may, it will be uncomfortable, but we know the future and that God wins and that he redeems us. So you don't have to go about with this fear of unknown There's a fear of the immediate unknown. We don't know how it's going to turn out today or tomorrow necessarily, but ultimately, we do know how it ends up. So the punchline of this whole passage, if you look at verse 36 in Luke 10, and I didn't catch this many times that I read it, but um, Jesus asks the question. So he tells this whole story about the Good Samaritan. This uh, Good Samaritan takes care of this uh, guy that's been beaten up and robbed, and, and Jesus says, well, which one do you think proved to be a neighbor? The initial question, who is my neighbor, which is kind of like who's around me or who's next to me, but he's, the question is, uh, the statement is, which one proved to be a neighbor? See, we're not necessarily called just to figure out who my neighbor is, but you're trying to be a neighbor, Right? There's a, there puts a responsibility on you to be a neighbor, not just find someone that might be a neighbor. Everyone can be your neighbor is what's going on here. And your call is to be a neighbor. And the best passage that I want us to look at on this, and the best model, of course, always going to be Jesus. Um, Jesus became our neighbor. All right, let me, let me read this in, in, in Philippians uh, 2, 5 to 11, where it talks about Jesus, God of the universe, humbled himself and became a neighbor. That's really what's going on here. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of men, God became a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus emptied himself from being God to a person, humbled himself to become a servant. You see in the pattern here? This is what we're called to when it comes to loving our neighbors, that we're humbling, we're emptying, we're, we're sacrificing, obedient to death, and then God exalted him. See, Jesus trusted the Father and obeyed. That's the same thing we're called into. This isn't just like, wow, that's cool that Jesus did that. The way to full life is doing what Jesus did and living and saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to become from this to this. From, you know, the world tells us, become more famous, become more rich, become more, more, more. And, and the scriptures, God calls us to say, no, let it go. Become less, be a humble, be a servant. And that's, boy, what a great passage for us to go into communion. We celebrate who, who Jesus is and what he did. We remember. Because that's the picture. Jesus is saying, look, this is how I loved you. This is how you're to love me and love others. And it makes sense. Not easy. Can't do it on your own. But it makes perfect sense. He fully loved us. And by that, he fulfilled the law. He loved us as our neighbor with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. God, um, what a simple story. But two out of three stepped around instead of into. Let that serve as a warning for us what a beautiful picture of an enemy loving his neighbor. God, we were enemies with you, and you came down to us and loved us. You became one of us. What a bad deal for you. What a great deal for us. We don't obey you and, and pause and reflect on the sacrifice with the experience of communion. Be with each person here as we just reflect on our lives, confess to you where we have gone astray, how we've gone on our own way. And we're grateful for the grace that you give us. It's enough. You're enough. And you love us. So would we remember who you are and what you've done, would we remember the value that is to our lives and be so excited as well as humbled for who you are and what you've done. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.